you have your Bibles, if you turn them over to Luke chapter 13, last week we saw uh, some hard uh, but prayerfully uh, helpful points uh, in our study. The first thing was this, point number one was sincere repentance produces fruit. Uh, there's a clear change that produces fruit whenever we are truly repentant in our life. Uh, that goes for salvation whenever we turn our life away from sin, turn it over to Jesus Christ in faith. There's a change that happens. And the same thing, whenever we are a child of God and we're living our life trying to follow Jesus Christ and we fall off that path of obedience, fall into disobedience, fall into sin, uh, sincere repentance. When we say, God, I'm sorry, I'm truly sorry. And again, repentance is an act of the will. We turn away from that, turn back to right fellowship with God. There's a change. There's an obvious change from us being out of fellowship with God to back in fellowship with God. And then point number two is this, self-righteousness isn't interested in the work of God or in God's work. And it wasn't just self-righteousness that we talked about. We also talked about self-absorption, self-centeredness, all those things. Uh, they're not interested in the true work of God. Uh, we saw that the, the religious in Jesus' day, they were indeed self-righteous. They were also self-absorbed. They were self-centered, so much so they were only focusing on their business, their stuff. This lady that was in the synagogue that was healed by Jesus, they didn't care anything about that. And Jesus brought that out. He said, you know, look, you, you care about your ox and your donkey that, that you need to lead to water on the Sabbath day, but you don't care anything about this woman who's been tormented for 18 years. And she's set free, and you don't care anything about that. Again, they were self-absorbed thinking about that. And so we saw when we live like this, we become detrimental to the kingdom of God. When our lives are all about us, all about our business, all about what we want to do, all about what we think we should do, uh, then we forget about all the things that God wants us to do. And not only that, the things that God wants us to do become less important than the things that we want to do. And I urge us to evaluate our lives in that regard. Take a, take a deep look inside of our heart and ask the question, am I contributing mostly to helping people come to Christ or am I what, part of that group that's keeping people from coming to Christ and turning them away from Him? I also shared the truth that when we become those self-centered and self-absorbed people, we not only dislike the preacher telling us what to do and what not to do, because that's our mindset. I don't want the preacher to tell me what, what to do. I don't want the preacher to tell me what not to do. We not only don't care anything about that, but we get that way with everybody. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to do what I want to do. You worry about you, and I'll do me. You do you, I'll, I'll do me. That's kind of the mindset we take on. But I believe that's a surface issue. And if you were here, you heard what I said. I believe the surface issue is that. I don't want the preacher to tell me what to do. I don't want my Sunday school teacher. I don't want my Christian friend to tell me what I should be doing and what, not, what I should not be doing. I don't want my brother or my sister or my cousin or my aunt, my, my grandma, my mom, my dad. I don't want anybody to tell me what I should and shouldn't be doing. It's just the surface issue because the, the root issue is, here's the truth. We don't want God to tell us what to do. That's the truth, and that's why so many people struggle with staying true to God's Word, staying in God's Word on a daily basis and wanting to be obedient. Because remember, when we first get saved, that's what we want to do. We want to know what God wants us to do. So we get into His Word, we show up at church, and we're hearing what's going on, and then somewhere along the way, we get to a place where we think, I don't want to be told what to do. I, I know what the Bible says. I can live my life. I don't even told, be here, be there, do this, do that. Again, we get to a place where uh, the things of God aren't very important to us anymore. 
And so the questions that we ended with last week was this, are we living in submission or selfishness? Are we living in servanthood or self-centeredness? And the third question was this, are we living in sincerity or in self-righteousness? And so this morning as we move forward, I want to go through the scripture that I actually referenced at the end because I think it's so important for us to cover that. Um, and uh, God just wouldn't leave me alone about it. So I had to go back to what, what we referenced at the end, and we're going to go through that this morning. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word, and thank you for the reminders again this morning of uh, the way that we're supposed to be living our lives, uh, what we looked at last week, and, and, and now this week as we continue on in this study uh, journey in Scripture with you. And I pray that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be open, and our spiritual eyes and ears would be open Lord, we would respond as your people the way you want us to respond. And beyond that, God, so importantly, that if there's someone here that's lost, I pray they would realize the opportunity they have right now in this place uh, to experience a life change, to experience forgiveness, to experience a free gift being given to them by your grace, uh, that they would experience your salvation, the only way uh, to heaven through Jesus Christ. I pray, again, if someone's lost that today, they would accept that free gift and uh, Lord, we'll rejoice in you. We'll give you the praise for all the things that you do, everything you do, God, because it's all you. Uh, Lord, just use me as a vessel. I just um, work in this place. I want your presence to move in this place and to accomplish what you desire. And we'll praise you for all this, Lord. We ask all in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles there in Luke chapter 13, uh, verse 22 is where we're going to pick up. It says, And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Man, what a, what a difficult truth to swallow. A truth that was revealed because of a question. And that question just stands out in the scripture. I mean, it's so profound and, it, and, it, and it's so heartbreaking. The question was, Lord, are there few that be saved? This is coming from those that were following Jesus, listening to his teachings at that time. And evidently they saw something that was a, a reality in, in, in their life at that point in time. They were following Jesus, they were listening to him, and they started to realize after everything you're saying and after everything we're seeing this appears to be the case that there's only a few that are actually saved again it was something difficult i think they were coming to uh, to realize the question of surrender a question of repentance they were seeing this again played out in their life and i believe some of them that were following jesus at this time began to get a little discouraged at the opposition that the gospel was facing I believe they got a little discouraged that there were only actually a few accepting this gospel message and following Jesus Christ, the way that Jesus was teaching. And you have to, again, understand, they were, they were believing. They were, they were following what he was saying. They were absolutely surrendered to what Jesus was saying, and their life was transformed. And yet they're seeing this crowd all around. They're seeing this multitude all around, and people are leaving. People are not wanting to, to follow Jesus daily. They're going back and doing what they want to do. They're seeing this religious crowd everybody's supposed to be looking up to that's actually coming against the gospel, the kingdom. And, and, and the, the true followers of Jesus Christ are like, 
this reality is disheartening, it's discouraging. We're following you with everything. We left everything, forsaken everything to follow you because you have the words of the kingdom. You have the keys to, the, to eternal life. We're following you. Why isn't everybody doing it like this? Why isn't everybody following you like, like we are? Why isn't everybody sharing this great news with everybody they can? Why, why is it only that it seems like there's only going to be a few that are saved and that are saved? And so for me, as we're going through this and studying it, it brings out some very sad and sobering, but at the same time, some encouraging um, points concerning the good news, concerning the gospel. And point number one this in your notes is this. The gospel will face opposition. It was facing it then. It's faced it from the very beginning. Uh, think about this. It, as soon as Jesus, maybe six months to a year and a half years old, and as soon as Herod uh, finds out that the Messiah, the wise men come and say, hey, we're looking for the Messiah. We saw a star and we came. Um, and Herod's like, I want him killed. I, I don't want any threats to my authority, to my, uh, to my uh, you know, uh, kingship or whatever. And so he wants him destroyed. From almost the beginning, the gospel has had opposition against it. And still today, it's facing it. Tomorrow it will face it. Years to come, if the Lord allows, the gospel will still face opposition. But to me, I, I, I look at today, look at what was going on in Jesus' day, the opposition that it was facing, and I, and I say, well, okay, so what, is the, what are the oppositions or the opposing forces uh, against the gospel today? Well, first of all, let's understand, all of it is evil inspired. All of it is from the enemy. Satan is opposing the gospel. He was opposing it, again, when Jesus came on the sin 2,000 years ago. So it's all by the enemy Satan, all from his, his side. But here are how some of the ways that the opposition is manifested today in our presence. Number one, false gospels. Not just the fact that they exist, but they are abounding. False gospels are abounding. I mean, even within, the, uh, even within Christendom, if you, if you will, and, 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 I, and I can't even say that that's the case because they're not true Christianity, uh, but, the, but the world sees them in the box of Christianity, and there's these false gospels that abound. Uh, there's churches that you can turn on and watch on TV, and that they will tell you all you have to do is pray this prayer, and you will have eternal life. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not the gospel. It's a false gospel. You don't just pray a prayer to get saved. That's not salvation. But there are those that will tell you, if you want to go to heaven, all you need to do is pray this prayer at this time. And thousands of people are following that. But there's false gospels. And on the other side of the coin, you have, there's millions of people following uh, religions. That are, I'm not saying Christianity because it's not Christianity. Following a religion that claims Christ, but is not the Christ that we're studying right here. It's not the Christ of the Bible. And they do, not, they do not believe that he was God, primarily, uh, in all of these religions. Uh, Jesus Christ's divinity is, is attacked. And so uh, false gospels abound. And I will say this, even inside of Bible preaching, believing supposedly churches, there are false gospels that, 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 that are either held or shared by even its members. And I, some, maybe some of the pastors are teaching that too. But the gospel is very clear, and Jesus was living it out. He was teaching it to his followers at that time, and it's clear in our day still now. One of the greatest things that comes against it 
is false gospels. The second thing is prosperity and comfort abound. Uh, the, 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 the more prosperous we seem to be as a nation, the more comfort that we experience as a nation, uh, the less important the things of God become, the less important spiritual things become, even inside the church, and especially inside the church. Give you a good example. 9-11, what happened? Things got real shaky. Things got real unsure. What happened in America? Everybody didn't want to show up at church. God help us. God protect us. God, we need, to, we need to share people with, I mean, the time is drawing near. The end is close. We've got to tell everybody that Jesus is coming soon. And then years go by and what happens? Where's that same fervor? Where's that same intensity? Where's that same concern? Well, prosperity and comfort and protection, all those things have come back and surfaced. And now we feel like, hey, as long as we're living our life and doing our thing, we're fine. And so the gospel falls under the opposition of comfort. And prosperity but there is a real opposition that we know we read about it we see it in, in the news every day and that's the opposition of persecution and terrorism it's real uh, there's there's no doubt about it they if they could get here today in this church and do away with all of us they would the enemy is seeking to do that he's seeking to, to, to kill still and destroy he's looking to, to stamp out the gospel every way he can and so the gospel is, is finding opposition still with persecution and terrorism. And again, we see that very, very clearly in Scripture and very clearly still today. Number four is callousness and complacency, similar to prosperity and comfort. But we come to that place through, I believe, prosperity and comfort to this place where we're callous and we're complacent concerning the gospel. In other words, as long as I have the money I need, as long as I have the stuff I, I want, as long as my life is comfortable and good, I don't really see a need to do anything else. I mean, I'll just continue to go the way I'm going because my life is good. And so we become callous and complacent concerning the gospel. And even as the people of God, we become this opposing force against the gospel because we become callous and complacent. And we're the very vehicle that God has chosen and called to get the gospel out. We become that opposing force. Similar to that is number five, love of pleasure. In describing how the end days would look and the people in the end days, Paul was saying that this, that, that we would be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And it's sad whenever you can take a, a cross-section maybe of, of the Lord's church today, and that's what it looks like. They love the, their stuff more than God and his stuff. And then number six, kind of to wrap all of that up, is churchgoers. The reason I say churchgoers, not necessarily Christians, is because there's a lot of people that go to churches, that are in churches still today, that claim to be Christians, but aren't sold out. They're not following Jesus Christ. Like those followers then, they were asking, so are there only the few that are saved? And so churchgoers become I believe part of the greatest opposition of the gospel. We know Jesus is under the opposition to stop preaching this gospel, to stop sharing what he was sharing. Back in chapter 11, we already saw it in verse 53. As it said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak, uh, to, uh, provoke him to speak of many things. Listen to this. Laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. I don't know about you, but there's a sense in, even in America today, that that's what people are looking to do 
even with Christianity today. Just show me some reason why I shouldn't be a Christian. That's, that's, that's what a, a large portion of people are doing. Matter of fact, I, I was looking for him today. I, I didn't see him, but I had a chance to talk to a, a young man that came to my door yesterday and talked a long time, very skeptical. Um, but he um, essentially was telling me his, uh, his, his family situation. His, 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 he never knew his biological mom, his stepmom. Um, was um, uh, religious, this is his words, religious at one point in time, but isn't really anymore. They still go to church, but the life she lives, that, that was what he said. And then he said his dad was always an atheist, and so growing up, even, even they would even pray before their food, but um, before their meals, but he would mock the prayers. And um, just growing up like that, and then seeing you know, all around people in his family who were once religious and then just weren't doing it anymore, uh, he, he came to this place where he realized this stuff isn't real. This stuff is just a kind of a, an, an outlet for some people to have that peace and comfort that they want. But it's not for everybody. Some people find it religion. Some people find it other things. And he began to tell me that what changed my life, he said, was wrestling. And so I began to, to wrestle. And, 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 I, and I found that you know, my integrity, how to treat people and how to respect people and, and all those things. And so for me, it was, it was wrestling. It was really... Uh, what, what I needed and so that's that was for me and maybe religion for you and I told him listen buddy I, I want to share something with you I'm not trying to pitch religion to you at all I'm not trying to sell religion to you at all I'm not trying to get you to embrace anything about religion what I'm trying to tell you about is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ because God so loved you and, and I said I know in your mind right now you're thinking well that's every you're you're pitching at me everything the Bible says and that's if you even believe what the Bible says and I began to talk to him about archaeology and history and, and all those things. And I told him, I said, but I, I want to share with you. The greatest evidence that, that this Bible is true is changed lives. And he says, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, people's different lives have been changed by different things. Different organizations, different groups. I said, not like this. Not like this. And I challenged him. I said, I want to encourage you. If you have a Bible, to read your Bible and seek it out. Ask God. If you're real, show me. Prove him. Seek him out. Because don't just dismiss it because you, you, you think it's for somebody else. But it, as I was talking to him, it just became, and it was crazy because this, the message that God already put in my heart had already been prepared, already been prayed for, and here I am, you know, the day before I'm going to preach it, like going through almost everything that, you know, Lord had put in my heart to, to go here. And I was like, man, that's amazing. But it was so sad, so disheartening that this young man, He's in college, was so disenchanted with Christianity because of religious people. And so it's so saddening to think, man, I don't, I don't want to be a part of anything like that. I, I, don't, I don't want to be a religious person. I don't want to, uh, to, to present that, oh, I'm following Jesus Christ. And I shared with him at this, at this point in time, and we'll talk about this in just a minute, but if I said, if I, if I really believe this, if I really believe that there is a heaven and there's a hell, and there is only one way to miss hell and to gain heaven, there's only one. If I really believe that with all my heart, and that everybody who doesn't accept Jesus Christ is going to hell, and is not going to heaven, if I believe that, what does it say for me if I don't share that with you? He goes, no, absolutely, I appreciate that. The fact that you, I mean, you care enough to say something, if you believe it, then you share it. And I said, absolutely. But again, it just uh, it was a reminder with, with me as I was talking to this young man that if that's the case for us as Christians, if we really believe, really believe there's only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ, 
Who are we if we don't share that with people? We're monsters. We're selfish monsters. If we have the only key to eternal life, the gospel, and we don't share it with other people who may be on their way to an eternal hell, eternal lake of fire, who are we if we don't share that with them? And so that's why I believe one of the greatest oppositions to the gospel today are churchgoers. And I don't want to be that. I don't want you to be that. I don't want us to be that. It was under attack there in Jesus' day. The early church, the early, the early disciples, they fell under persecution and were scattered. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, And at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad through the regions of Judea, Judea uh, and Samaria, except the apostles. They stayed there. Paul would be persecuted for preaching the gospel. And again, still today, many try to silence and snuff out the gospel. As I said a while ago, through persecution and terrorism, through violence. The question is this, why is it that the terrorists today target Christians, target the people? Think about that. I mean, because there's been rulers throughout time, right, uh, who have tried to, uh, even, even inside of the Catholic Church at one point in time in church history, they were trying to do away with certain Bibles and certain writings of people. Certain rulers of certain nations have tried to burn Bibles and, 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 and tear down buildings. And, and we know that they're still trying to do that today. But what is their ultimate goal is to destroy the people? Why not just destroy the buildings? Why not just destroy the Bibles and leave it like that? Because the church is the vehicle. Because the people, what God has chosen. There have been many persecuted and imprisoned throughout time. Even today, sitting in jails persecuted for their faith that the only scripture they have is not something in written form like you and i have right now freely open it up take it with us walk outside walk into a restaurant today with it it's free but we have brothers and sisters that don't have that privilege they don't have that right they're sitting in prison and the only scripture they have is a scripture that's hidden in their heart that they in secret had memorized and read because the the, the great persecution and opposition they faced came to reality and they went to prison for their faith An opposition can try to explain away what's written. You say, well, that's, that's just what the Bible says. Well, that's what you believe what the Bible says. Opposition can try to explain it away. Deception can be spread. That is without changed lives. The living testimony of the gospel transforming people's lives. You can't take that away. That's why persecution comes against the church of God. That's why it comes against the people, because this is God's chosen way to get the gospel to those in darkness. So we're going to face opposition, because his gospel has, it, it is today, it will continue to face opposition. We just have to understand this. A very serious truth was spoken about the kingdom of God in, in that statement. He said this, they, they said this, or he said, many will seek to enter in and will not be able to. That, I, if that doesn't make your heart sink, something needs to be checked. Many will seek to enter in and will not be able to. Understand, Jesus wasn't saying that the invitation wasn't there. He wasn't saying that the door wasn't open and that's why they, they couldn't. He said they'll, they'll, they'll seek to enter in 
Similar to the, uh, the, the rich young ruler that ran up to Jesus and said, Sir, what must I do to have a uh, master? What must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, Go keep the commandments. I've done the, all, all these from my, my youth up. Go and sell all you have. Give it to the poor and follow me. The Bible says that that rich young ruler walked away disheartened. He couldn't surrender all. He couldn't repent. He couldn't turn it all over to Christ. He couldn't follow Jesus the way, that straight and narrow way. He couldn't do it that way. He wanted, he sought to enter in, but he couldn't enter in because he didn't go Jesus' way. And that's what Jesus was saying. Many are going to seek to get in and not be able to. And it's not because they can't. It's because they won't go Jesus' way. And that leads to point number two. The gospel will be rejected by many. The gospel is rejected by many people today. And because of many, many things, just as we saw, uh, as I was just saying right there, number one, because of refusal to surrender all. That's still one of the reasons why people today will reject the gospel is because they don't want to surrender all. I will give up every area of my life except for my family. But that's not what Jesus said. Unless a man forsake his mother, father, sister, brother, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And so she was saying, if I follow Jesus, I have to give up my family. He didn't say that. But unless you are willing and in your heart, you would give up every single thing, including your family, for Jesus Christ, you can't be his disciple. So that's, that's why a false gospel is, pray this prayer and you'll be saved. That's a false gospel. Because the gospel that Jesus shared was this. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. He's the only way to the Father. And His way is an absolute surrender, which is faith, in Him alone. Which means that you're willing to forsake all. And that's exactly what people reject the gospel for today, is because they can't. A refusal to repent and turn away from sin. Number three, procrastination. I'll do it later. How many people have... have have you talked to? I know in, in, in my lifetime, the people that I've talked to, that they've listened to the gospel, they've heard the gospel. It all sounds good. It all sounds right. It's what they want. It's what they want. They want to go to heaven. They don't want to go to hell. They, they realize that God died for them. They realize that he paid the price. They realize that it's a free gift. They simply have to accept. And yet in that moment when they come to decide, they say these words. Let me think about it. It's not right now. I can't tell you the number of people I've talked to, whether it's at their door or whether it's in public, or whether it's in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, private. It's just not right now, for whatever reason. Procrastination. Number four, the gospel rejected because of religion, but no relationship. As I said a while ago, um, a lot of people think it's about a religion. As long as you're at church on Sunday morning, you're good. As long as it, you claim the name of Christ, you're good. Whether you're actually following him or not is a different story. Religion. I affiliate myself with Jesus. I call myself a Christian. And so, but that's, that in itself is rejecting the gospel. That's not what Jesus shared. And on the flip side of that, as I said a while ago, many people who are churchgoers today, they have this religion, but they have no relationship. And so the outside world sees this and says, I don't want that religion. And that person that says they're a Christian and they live their life just like I live my life. That's hypocrisy. 
I don't want to I don't want to give up my Sunday morning sleep to go to church I know people that live their lives Saturday night they're out at the club Saturday night they're out doing this Saturday night they're out messing around and then Sunday morning they go to church and they call themselves a Christian and they say they're going to heaven and I need to change my life for what I don't need that religion I'll just keep living my life the way I want to live it and so people reject because again they they hold to or they see either way one side or the other religion not relationship number five Knowledge of the truth, but no, no true acceptance. Again, a sign of the end times, as Paul was telling Timothy, was that they would be ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's a lot of people with a lot of knowledge today about what the Bible says, but have not truly accepted it. As Hebrews says, maybe have tasted of it, but they haven't eaten. Jesus said, unless, unless you eat my flesh, and drink my blood. He wasn't talking about cannibalism. He was talking about an absolute consumption of all he was and everything he stands. Everything. A lot of people have a knowledge of it. Maybe there's some in here that you know what it takes to be saved. But you know in your life you've never surrendered all. You know that you've never turned 100% away from sin and turned Jesus Christ. But you have a knowledge that that's what it takes. Maybe you went through some emotions. Maybe you went through some motions. But you've never truly given your life to Christ. Knowledge of the truth doesn't mean that you're saved. You have to accept it. And we see several examples, even after Christ was rejected, of the rejection of uh, the gospel. As Stephen was sharing the gospel to those uh, religious people in Jerusalem uh, in Acts chapter 7. Verse 57, it says this, They uh, cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city, stoned him, and witnesses laid their coats at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. They were rejecting him. That's violence. That's persecution. That's, that's, that's coming. They, they did not want to hear what Stephen had to say. They were stopping their ears. They were crying, la, 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 la. They didn't want to hear what Stephen had to say. They cast him out of the city, stoned him to death. That's, that's a very violent way to reject the gospel. Still happens today. Acts chapter 26. This is where I was saying a while ago, a lot of people have come. Maybe you've encountered something similar to this. Maybe not before a king. But Paul was talking to Agrippa at a trial, and he says, Hey, King Agrippa, believest thou the, the prophets? I know you believe us. I know you believe what the prophets say. Paul had given testimony of his life, and verse 28, uh, Agrippa says to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul says these words, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am except these bonds. I wish everybody would be saved. Everybody in this room that hears this, this gospel that Jesus alone saved, I wish everybody was saved. I wish everybody was like me, except for the fact that I'm in these, in these bonds. But uh, King Agrippa said to Paul, you, you, almost, you almost convinced me to, to, to follow Jesus Christ. But he rejected it. And again, a tragedy that still played out today. The idea of eternal life has great appeal 
The idea of never having to die, the idea of never spending one second in a lake of fire has a great appeal for many people, and it has for thousands of years. Again, if we took a poll in this room and we went around and said, okay, everybody fill out this form. I think majority in here are followers of Christ. But if we, everybody across the board, how many people would love to spend a little bit of time in hell? A little bit of time in the lake of fire. That would come back, I believe, a big fat zero. But if we turn around on the other side of the poll, other side of the question and said, how many people in here want to have eternal life versus the lake of fire? I believe that would be 100%. I believe everybody would say, absolutely, I want to go to heaven. I want to, go, I want to have uh, eternal life and not eternal death. The idea, again, has appealed to many. However, the call and the cost, though a little child can fulfill, Jesus said, is often too much for those who reject it. To give up the life that we want, to give up living the way that we, we want to live, the things that make us happy, See, Satan's trinkets seem to be way more valuable than they actually are. Sin, entertainment, the control of our life, money, whatever it is, Satan can make it seem way more valuable than it is in the moment. And Satan will use that deception, he'll use those things to seem that they are more important right now. He'll try to convince people, you are a good enough person. But just take your chances. Those people believe that. Don't worry about that. You can make that decision later in life. You don't have to make it right now. Or that's not real. That is until your time runs out and it's too late. And that's the part that Satan doesn't want to say. Scripture doesn't always give us the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. It doesn't tell us what happens after certain things or certain people reject the gospel. We have some examples in Scripture of what happens. For instance, Saul, they laid their coats at his feet. One chapter later in Acts chapter 9, he encounters Jesus on the Damascus Road. His life is transformed. At one point in time, he was rejecting and persecuting the gospel, and then he accepted it. So we get that story, but we don't always get that story in Scripture. But Jesus was clear. There are few that are entering in the straight gate that leads to everlasting life. There's only a few. Many, many are going to miss it through the rejection, rejection of the gospel. And again, this narrative of rejecting the gospel is still being played out today. Look at it in verse 25. When the, once the master of the house has risen up and has shut the door, and he began to stand without and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. He shall answer and say unto you, I know you, no, I know you not. Whence you are. I don't even know who you are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. We heard about you. We heard the stories about you. We sang songs about you. We read about you. We went to church service that worshipped you. We were very familiar with you. Verse 27, but he shall say, I tell you, I know not whence you are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. What a heart-wrenching scene that is and that will be. Heart-wrenching. 
the judgment for those who reject the gospel is coming. And we preach that way in this church because, look, the time is drawing near. And if we don't get more real than we, ha- than we were yesterday, then we're missing it. If we don't get more serious about following Jesus Christ today than we were yesterday and tomorrow than we were today, if we don't continue to get more intense and passionate and urgent about the things of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we are falling behind. Because I promise you this, Satan's not laying down. Satan's not giving up. He's not quitting. He will continue to throw deception. He'll continue to throw everything he can to keep people lost and in darkness. And as the church, we are the only hope Because we are the bearers of the gospel. We are the ones that God says, here, I'm giving this to you. You do this for me. And as I said last week, it's not some uh, oppressive command. It's not something that, that, oh, God has, why does God make us share the gospel? No. As the apostle Paul said, we saw Wednesday night, he was talking to the Thessalonian believers. And he said this, as we were allowed of God, as we were allowed of God, to speak the gospel to you. Even so we speak. We saw this as a great privilege to share the gospel that transformed our lives with other people. And so this brings us to the last point, point number three, is the gospel will still work. It will still work. And so I just don't know if that's true. Listen, I, I, I talked to somebody um, uh, um, Brother Josh can attest to this. We knocked on someone's door Thursday night, and the gentleman was very nice. He came out, stood on the door, and, and uh, uh, stood there, and I introduced myself, introduced uh, Josh, and, and said, hey, we're from Trinity Baptist Temple, inviting people to church. They don't have a church home. Do you have a church home? I said, no, we're moving. Okay. Well, I guess I won't invite you to church. What do you mean? We're moving to Arlington. Oh, your job? No, we're just moving, bought a house. Oh, okay, okay. Um, well, uh, no, thank you. And started to, to I said, well, can I, can I give you one of these cards? And he said, no, thank you. Just, just kept closing the door right behind us. We walk away and I said, that, that's, that's what happens. That's, that's hard to deal with. And Josh said, at least he said, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. I said, amen. At least he said, no, thank you. You know? But it's so sad. So, so uh, it's heartbreaking that people are rejecting the gospel. And then again, yesterday, talking to a young man, I mean, just pouring my heart out to him, trying to, trying to plead with him and, 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 and give him all this scripture and give the gospel to him. Over and over and over, I kept telling him, God loves you. I, mean, I know, you know you may not believe that there is a God. You're not sure there's a God. You know, uh, you're agnostic, all these things like that. I said, but I'm telling you, he is a real God, and he really loves you. He loves you so much that he died on the cross for your sin. I mean, I went through so many different things, so many different scenarios, gave him all these scriptures, gave him the gospel. And at the end of it, he said it. Uh, he was asking, I, I may come to church tomorrow. He lives in Denton, but I, I may come to church. I, said, I gave him my number. I said, hey, ask me any questions anytime, text me, whatever. But at that point in time, that young man didn't give his life to Christ either. But I know this, just because those two people didn't, I know that the gospel still works. Those seeds were planted Maybe they were watered somehow. It's not my job to save them. It's my job to be faithful as a gospel bearer, to, 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 to sow those seeds, to, to, to water those seeds, to, to give it out, to do it. It's my job, it's my privilege, my honor to serve our king, to take the gospel that transformed my life and give it to other people. 
before it's too late for them. But there's some keys for the, the gospel working. There are definitely some keys for the gospel to work. Number one is we got to pray. Paul told Timothy, pray for all men. Pray, pray, for, pray for them. That God would have all men to be saved. We need to be praying for the lost. We need to be praying that we can be the bearers, faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ, of the gospel, that we can share it. Again, I've shared this with you before. Every day we should be praying, God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. I was talking to Brother Everett this morning. I was sharing that testimony about that young man I got to talk to yesterday. Um, and he didn't hear that he had come to my door. He said, where were you talking to him? I said, he came to my door. He said, I love that when that happens. I said, I do too. I believe that's God. I mean, God bringing people to our lives, especially those of us who are praying, God, let me witness to somebody today. God, let me share the gospel to, with someone today. They may come knocking on your door. And I can't tell you I've done that 100% every time. There have been times that I, I felt weird. I felt awkward. There was somebody there. I just didn't like it. And, 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 and they were a salesman or whatever. And I didn't have time. And I, and I closed the door and I didn't share the gospel. I'm not saying that I've been imperfect and 100% with that every time. But I believe God, is, he brings people in our lives sometimes. And we, we've got to make sure that we're in, in, in tune. First, by praying. Being consciously aware that we need to be praying for people's souls. We need to be praying for opportunities. We need to be praying that we're prepared to give the gospel out. Number two is to share it. To share it. Whether it's in written form or whether you're able to talk to somebody, to share it. That's why in our church, it may not be popular in church culture today, we are still going door to door. And I realize, look, there's people that come to my, I just said that. People come to my door and I'm thinking, I don't really like the way that this guy looks. I don't know that I want to open my door. Where's my gun? No, I mean... <laughs> But there, 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 there are those thoughts. And so I realize that as a pastor, that when we go up in 2017 to people's doors, number one, there's not a whole lot of reception. Number two, we may not see a whole lot of, of results, but I know this, and this is what God has burdened me with, and this is what I'm at peace with. We have one life to live. We are in this area. There's only one gospel that saves, and God's given it to us. And as long as we have health and opportunity and freedom, who are we to not try to get the gospel to every person that's around us? Just like I was telling that young man, what is it if I say I believe this and yet I don't share it with you? That means I'm a monster. That means I'm a selfish, non-loving person. So that's why we go out. Whether we can give people the gospel in written, written form or we have an opportunity to talk to them and they turn around and slam their door in our face or whatever. I mean, we still have the opportunity to do it. And so we need to pray and we need to share it. If you're not looking for those opportunities at your job or at a restaurant when someone's knocking at your door, if we're not looking for those opportunities whenever the church has a time to go out and share the gospel, if you're not looking for the opportunities, then we are failing in what God has given us the privilege to do. We've got to share it. It works, but we've got to share it. It's like, hey, here's a new car. Okay, where's the key? We've got to have the key for it to work. The main thing for the gospel to work, the key is to share it for it to run. Number three, remembers point, remember point one and two. As I said, one of the most discouraging things is whenever somebody rejects the gospel and you're trying to share it with them, that's, that's discouraging. But you, you can't let those things keep you from doing it. It, it, it will still work. And, and, and when we're praying and when we're sharing it, we've got to remember, we're going to face opposition and people are going to reject the gospel. That's what, that's, that, 
remember those things. It'll help, help, help us stay consistent. Number four is that be faithful, consistent, and committed. Just like a farmer, uh, I, I, you know, go hunting and stuff, and we go out in these fields, and, and uh, you got wheat, and you got corn, and you got different crops out there. And, and I've never come across a field where, there, where somebody has planted a crop, and there's, there's three deals of corn. I, I've never done that. I've never come across a field where, uh, a wheat field, uh, where there's just uh, uh, three little sprigs of wheat. I, I've never done that. I've never seen that. I mean, if you have, that's cool. But I, mean, I don't think very many farmers like to farm that way. What they like to do is they like to take big fields, right? And they like to take these big fields and, and prepare them and get them all ready, the soil and the rows and the lines. Why? So that they can harvest the crop. What kind of crop? As big as crop as they can handle, as big as crop as they can, they can take care of and, and, and steward. And they go out there and they, they plant all those seeds and they, they do everything they can do to seed these crops, these big fields grow up with fruit. They don't just throw one or two seeds out there. And so for us, we don't just say, well, I, I witnessed to someone this past year. Hey, first of all, praise God. That's, that's one person. I, I don't want to try to just completely take that away. But God has given us 365 days every year. And every single one of those days, if we're a Christian, we have 100% assurance we're going to heaven. And we have the gospel with us. 365 days. That's at least... If we run into one person, that's at least 365 seeds that could be sown just by us individually. Now, I'm not saying that I do that every day, that you and I have the opportunity to do it every single day, but I'm saying imagine that. But let's just cut it in half. Let's just say half of the year we run into one person that we could share the gospel with. I'm not good at math because I know there's an odd number on the end of that, 365. But that's, think about that. If all of us 200 people were, were sharing the gospel with 160, 100, whatever, 100 and some odd people. How many is that? That's thousands of people every year getting the gospel. Thousands of people. We've got to be faithful. And the last thing is we've got to care, and we'll close. We've got to care. It's similar to what I was sharing with that young man, Dean. His name was Dean yesterday. But what does it say about us if we don't care enough to share? I'm walking around every single day of my life with the keys to eternal life. Every single day of my life, I have the only way for salvation. It's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. I have it. I know it. I, I, I'm... I'm I know who I have believed and am persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. There's no doubt in my mind that it's through Jesus my Lord that I'm saved, that I'm going to, to heaven because of what he's done, not because of what I've done. I've got that every single day of my life. I'm equipped with this amazing key. And I simply have to share it with people. And I've got to care enough about people to share. And that's what we were talking about last week. Too often we get discouraged in, 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 in soul winning. We, too often we get discouraged in sharing the gospel because the first thought we have is about ourselves, is about our insecurity, is about our comfort level in this, in this conversation, is about our, uh, our weirdness or our uh, embarrassment that we may face if we don't have these answers to their questions. We start thinking about ourselves first when we think about sharing the gospel, and that's not at all what we see the first church. The first church, we're thinking about other people first. 
The Apostle Paul, again, he was, he'd just gone from Philippi where they were thrown in jail. God delivered them, well, stoned, thrown to jail, beaten, th thrown in jail, released. They go to Thessalonica where they turn around and are persecuted again. They go on to Berea. They're chasing after them. But they're still sharing the gospel with these towns and these people. Why? Because they were thinking about them. They weren't thinking about themselves. And so I, I believe the reason why is the musicians make their way that we're not necessarily seeing the results of the power of the gospel today. Here it is. So why aren't, so, why aren't people getting saved? Because we simply aren't doing it. We're not praying. We're not sharing. We're not being consistent and faithful. We're not caring. I believe we'd see the, the power of the gospel very real. Oswald Chambers says this. If in preaching the gospel you substitute your knowledge of the way of salvation for confidence in the power of the gospel, you hinder people from getting to reality. A.B. Simpson also said this, the chief danger of the church today is that it's trying to get on the same side as the world instead of turning the world upside down. Our master expects us to accomplish results even if they bring opposition and conflict. Anything is better than compromise, apathy, and paralysis. God, give us an intense cry for the old-time power of the gospel and the Holy Ghost. But we've got to do it His way. The, the gospel still works. People's lives are still transformed. But we've got to do it. And lastly, something that Charles Spurgeon said. And Charles Spurgeon was very clear about the gospel and those who had it. Look at what he said. He says, I will not believe that thou hast tasted the honey of the gospel if thou can eat it all to thyself. I don't, he said, I don't even believe that you've tasted the honey of the gospel. If you, if you have the gospel and you've tasted it and you, you've received it, your life's been transformed, and it is so good that you can eat it all yourself and you can't share, I don't think that you really have it, he says. Answering a student's question to him, the question was, will the heathen who have not heard the gospel be saved? Charles Spurgeon replied, thus it is more a question with me whether we who have the gospel and fail to give it to those who have not can be saved or, or are truly saved. Paul in Romans said this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel still works. The church is still alive. It's still the vehicle. But we have got to do it. We've got to pray. We've got to share it. We've got to care. We've got to be consistent. We've got to, we've got to do it. And so this morning, I want to challenge you. Are you sharing the gospel? The people that come to your house, the people that wait on your table, the people that are living in the houses all around us, the people in your family, the people in your neighborhood. We have one life to live. We have one opportunity. In some instances, one encounter with people. 
And we have the keys. We have the gospel. Are we sharing it? And if you're here this morning, you say, I, you were talking earlier about rejecting, you were talking about religion, you were talking about all those things, and you're talking about being willing to give up my family. I've been going to church for a long time, and I, I don't know that I've ever really given Christ all of me. I was, I, I'm willing to give him my Sundays and my Wednesdays. I, I'm willing to, to give him my identity. I, I'll, I'll call him my Lord. I'll, I'll, I'll claim the name Christian. But I, I've never truly given my whole life to him. Whatever he wants to do with it, however he wants to lead me, I've never done that. I've never given my all, never surrendered my all to Christ. And I, I want to encourage you this morning. Don't let pride... Don't let anything stand in the way of you and eternal life. It's not worth it. It's not worth to play religion when God wants to give you have a relationship with you. And so if you're here, I encourage you at this invitation, come down here, talk with one of the ministers, say, listen, I, I want to give my life to Christ once and for all. I don't play no games anymore. I don't play religion. I want to surrender all. But as Christians... Let's be challenged. Let's respond to God's word. Are you sharing the gospel the way that you can? Or can you, can you share it more? Can you do it more? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the challenge that you've given me in this message. Thank you for the challenge that you've given us as a church. Lord, I know our church hears this a lot, but it's all through the New Testament. It's all about what this church age is about. It's about us glorifying you. As you walk this earth, you said, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. You gave us a very clear mission as you ascended to heaven to reach the whole world with this life-saving gospel. And we're, we're able to do that mission, live that mission out together here at Trinity Baptist Temple. And, and I pray that we would see that as the, the day draws closer to your return, God, we should be in intensifying our efforts. We should be, the, the urgency in which we're trying to get the gospel to people should be uh, intensifying day after day. I pray we'd never get complacent. I pray we'd never get callous, not only to, to you and, and your things, but to the mission that you've called us to. Lord, help us respond rightly to this message. I pray you're glorified in all of it. We ask, it's, ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand this morning.